All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing on our series this morning on such a great salvation, but I'm going to take a little detour this morning from that, but it's still going to connect with that, and I'm going to be talking about the compassion of Jesus this morning, and I'm also going to be talking about how to receive a miracle, and I'll talk more about that in just a few moments. Just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. In case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. And on the top right corner, it says give. It's highlighted in blue. It's a blue button. You click, click on that, you can give from anywhere around the world. If you'd rather send us a check, you can simply make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And uh, on the bottom foot of every page on our website is our mailing address. Well, without further ado, I want to jump into uh, my, my teaching this morning. Uh, I have a lot to cover. Um, it's going to be a little different, a little different setup this morning. I'm taking a little detour from my message, but it, it goes with. And I, uh, from the beginning, I was going to go into this detour. I didn't know exactly when I was going to throw this in, and the, the, the time was right. Uh, also, my teaching will be a little different on the screen uh, because I didn't have a, the ample time that I normally have to prepare a message today. And that's okay, because I got the Word of God just burning in my heart this morning, so it's just going to come out. Um, but it's going to be a little different. I will have a lot of the verses on the screen. I just won't have a lot of the commentary on the screen for you. And so you're just going to have to take some good notes, and hopefully you can do that. So, <coughs> excuse me. So I'm talking again this morning about, well, first of all, let me just give you an uh, introduction here. We've been talking at length about such a great salvation, and we've gone to a mini-series talking about prosperity and the benefits of salvation, how it relates to prosperity. I'm still on that uh, on that treadmill, if you will, uh, but I'm taking a little deep. I now have a, a, a sub-message within the sub-message within the message, okay, if that makes any sense. We're still talking about God's blessing in our lives. We're still talking about how we are God's covenant people, and we want to take part of God's blessing on his covenant people. We are the children of God. We are the people of God, okay, and we're still... I'm talking about these five financial discipleship principles I've been going over. I'm going to go back to kind of sowing and reaping a little bit this morning, but we're, I'm really taking a, this is really a mini-series within our mini-series that we're already talking about, okay? I don't want to confuse you with all of that, so just take this message to heart. You know, faith is a journey, and we are in a journey called life, and the just shall live by his faith. We live by faith. Okay? In Him we live and we move and we have our being. Okay? And so, we live by faith. The just, we are the, the, righteousness, the righteousness of God. We are the righteousness of God in Him. The just lives by faith. Okay? And the, then there's this journey. The, I have a whole teaching that I've done before in the past. The miracles and the journey. You know, we all celebrate when a child is born. And we say, what a miracle. And it is a miracle. But how many know the miracle has been taking place the last nine months in the womb of the mother? Okay? And we get to see the harvest of that child when we call that when they're born. But the miracle has been <coughs> take, excuse me, taking the place along the journey. And even the birth of the child is not the end. It's the beginning. Uh, because you, the, the, the rest of their lives, those parents will be nurturing and training those children. Even when they get, become adults, how many know? Just because your kids are adults doesn't mean parenthood has stopped. It takes a different phase. There's a different season. There could be 
<coughs> excuse me, a different dynamic to the relationship. It's not going to be different. They're, they're not going to be codependent on you like they were before, okay? Because you raised them up to, to be adults. And now they're going to have their own families and they're going to have their own uh, uh, independence and whatnot. But you're still going to be mom and dad. You're still going to be their parents, okay? And so, but the miracle is in the journey. And I want to piggyback on some verses that are key verses in our, in our current teaching series. And one of those is just, you know, we are, God wants to establish this covenant. I can't get away from that concept. We have a covenant with God. And God wants to establish his covenant in the earth through us, his people, through us, his church. Okay? And uh, also, I want to go back on to 2 Corinthians 9, 8 real quick. This is my introduction. I haven't already gotten my message yet. But God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always have all sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for every good work. That's my heart. That's my heart's prayer for you as a pastor, as a teacher of the word. My, I believe that God can make his grace abound to you, that you have sufficiency, that you can do what God's called you to do. You can be who God's called you to be, and you can do it with abundance. You can do it. There's no lack in the kingdom of God. There's no struggle in the kingdom of God. We're not, we're still in this earth and there's still going to be struggles until Jesus comes. Okay? And I'm not taking away from that. But the Bible says we are victors in Christ Jesus. We have the victory. God is, he is our banner. I think it's Jehovah Nisi. He's our banner. Okay? And so he, he, he's our victor. We have victory. We are not victims. We are victors in Christ Jesus. Okay? And in God. And in Christ. And in this thing called Christianity, we should have sufficiency in all things. And we have abundance for every good work. You, I believe you can do what God's called you to do. And you can be who God's called you to be by His grace. Okay? And so I want to also piggyback on uh, two verses later. And now he who supplies seed to the sower. We're going to be talking about seed in a little bit this morning. And bread for, the food, for food. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown. Increase the fruits of your righteousness. God wants to give you some seeds. And God wants you to plant those seeds. And God wants those seeds to increase and multiply and produce as they've been destined by God. As they've been ordained by God to produce. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit this morning. Okay. I believe that you can believe God for specific things that you need. I believe that you can believe God for specific things that you, you need so you can help bless others. Because they're in need. Okay. I believe God is a very resourceful God. Okay? He's a God of more than enough. He's just El Shaddai. He's God more than enough. That is his name. That is who he is. Okay? He's a many-breasted God. He's the almighty God. He's the mighty one. And there's nothing too difficult for him. There's nothing impossible for him. And I've already said it's a faith journey. And Excuse me. That nothing is impossible to him who believes. Okay? God is our source. God is our supply. Whatever we need, whatever we're going for, whatever we need, not just for ourselves, but whatever we need to do what God's called to do in the ministries, in the vocations, in the, in the journey, this journey called life. The, 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 we're in the journey of, of life. And in this journey of life, the miracle is in the journey. And, and, and there's everything that you need, just like that baby in the womb. that has everything that's coming to the mother's body. We are in the womb of our Father. And I don't know how time to, to paint the whole picture, okay? But we are His kids. And in that seed, 
is everything we need to do life. Everything we need for life and godliness in the knowledge of Him. Okay? That, that through these promises that we have in God, through these promises we have in Christ, we can be partakers of His divine nature, and we can do what God's called to do, and we can be who God's called to be. So I get, as, I, as I go into our message this morning, I have a few questions, and one of those, do you have a need? Do you have a dream? Do you have a compassion to meet a need? And other people are multitudes of people. And so their need has become now your need. Because you need resources to help meet that need. Okay, do you need a miracle? Do you need a miracle for somebody else? We have a miracle working God. Our God is alive. Christianity is alive. It's real. This name called Christianity is supposed to work. We're supposed to be different. The Bible says we are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We are the people of God. We are the children of God. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And we're different than any other religion. We're different than any other people. Because we are, we're born of God. We're created in His likeness, we're created in His image, and we are recreated in Christ Jesus. There's over 300 promises in the New Testament of who we are in Christ Jesus. And the communication of our faith, going back to that, is effectual when we acknowledge every good thing that's in us in Christ Jesus. When we acknowledge all that we have in Christ, our faith in God becomes effective. Okay? And I want my faith, I want your faith to be effective. So do you need a miracle? You know, when I think of miracles, I think of when Jesus fed the multitudes on more than one occasion. He took, he had a, there was a need to feed people, multitudes of people, 4,000, 5,000 people, plus women and children. And even however you want to dice that, whether it was just 5,000 people, including women and children, or 5,000 plus women and children, it's a multitude of people, okay? He didn't have a lunch. The boy did. He borrowed a lunch. He borrowed some, some, some loaves and some fishes. He had compassion to meet some needs of some people, and he did it. And we're going to see that he even told his disciples to feed the people. <coughs> we're supposed to make disciples of all nations. I see you and me, if you're in Christ, as a disciple of God, a disciple of Christ. And God wants us, use us to feed the people. To feed the people the word of God. To feed people practical things. Things that they need. That they, that, that they can know. That the world will know. That there is a God. And he is alive. There is a Jesus. And because of Jesus. We, we don't say we can't. We say we can. Okay. We don't have a red light. We have a green light. Okay. Okay. Je when I think of America. I think of Jesus all the healing ministry that he did, all the things that miracles that he did. John said in his book, the very last verse in the book of John, the Gospel of John, he said it, there would not be enough books on this planet to contain all the things that Jesus did in his three and a half year ministry. And I'm paraphrasing that. God is a God that works. And Jesus said, the works that I did, and even greater works, that I did shall you do because I go to the Father. Because Jesus sits on the throne. Because Jesus 
paid for our sins, and he redeemed us back to God. He justified us before God, and he sits at the right hand of majesty on high. And so God says, I, you shall do the works that I did, because, and even more, because of the good of the Father. In the context of him saying that, what took place? What just took place? What, what was going to take place is the finished work of the cross. And what was going to take the place a few days later was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And there's no other age since, the, since the, 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 the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. There's no other age that has the finished work of the cross. There's no other age that has the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And church, we have both of those at our disposal. And the, and the, the disciples, Paul, Peter, John, and the disciples... They turned the world upside down without modern technology, without tra modern transportation, without modern, modern amplification and speakers and, 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 and wires and microphones. And we have those things and they're tools and they're vehicles that we can use, but we have Jesus. We have the gospel, and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. We change. But he has never changed. He's on the throne. And the kingdom of God is not here and there. The kingdom of God is within us. We have the keys of the kingdom. Jesus said it's to my Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Church, we have a kingdom at our disposal to preach that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And we don't just need to preach it and teach it like Jesus did, like the apostles did, but we also need to demonstrate it in power. And we need to demonstrate it in practical, practical ways. Okay? I mean, the early church says that there was no needy upon them because not only were they steadfast in the apostles' teaching, not only were they steadfast into to, uh, fellowship, not only were they steadfast into breaking the bread and the prayer, but they met each other's needs. And they met the needs of the people in very practical and very spiritual ways. When I think of needs and miracles, I think of Elijah and the widow and her son. I think of Elisha, Elisha and the widow and, and with the oil. And both of these needs, they both had some very practical, they were widows, they were, they were poor. And the prophet of God comes into their life, comes into their homes, and, and as they obey what they, he tells them to do, some very practical things. Go get all the jars and fill with oil with a little oil you did and then multiply before their eyes and they sold it and paid off their debts. A very practical need and lived off the rest. A very practical thing. But a very powerful spiritual uh, truth and principle. Okay? And so we see, we see those things, two things. We, when I think of uh, me in America, I think of Elijah going to a place called there. Going somewhere that God told him to go. And if, it, if it, he had to send ravens to go feed him. If you go do what God called you to do, there's no lack in the kingdom of God. Because if that can happen in the Old Testament, how much more can it happen today in the New Testament? Because if we go do what God called to do, if he has to send you ravens to feed you, he will. He may have to put a coin in the fish's mouth to pay your taxes and pay your bills, he will. If he has to multiply your oil and your fish and your loaves, he will. If he has to send a donkey to talk to you, he will. Okay? There's nothing impossible with our God. 
If you're going in the wrong direction, if you have to send a big whale to get you, they don't swallow you up, and so you just you camp in the depth of the sea for a few three days and three nights. He will. Nothing, nothing, church, is impossible with our God. Okay? And when I think of uh, Need in America, I think of Peter. He has a lot of fish stories. And he has a fish story when he's been fishing all night, caught nothing. Being faithful in his own vocation to feed his family and to take care of his needs. And Jesus shows up. Borrows his boat for a sermon, for a, for a podium. <coughs> And then he tells Peter to do something he'd just been doing all night, caught nothing. Just launch out, in that, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for the catch. And Peter says, Master, we've been toiling all night. I've caught nothing. You can hear the, the discouragement in his voice. But he says, nevertheless, at your word. Nevertheless, at your word. Nevertheless, at your word. Pastor, you don't understand what I'm going to. You don't understand my country. You don't understand my village. But nevertheless, at his word. You don't understand. We don't have any. We want to meet. We want to do this program. We want to do this and that. But nevertheless, at his word. What has God called you to do? Where Do you have a compassion to meet a need? Do you have a compassion to do something great for the kingdom of God? I want to propose to you, church, this morning. Nevertheless, at his word, let down the net for a catch. Because this is going to be good. This is going to be a boat sinking, net breaking catch. That will not only meet us, our needs, but will meet the needs of the people that we are trying to reach. And we are trying to reach not only in spiritual ways, but in very practical ways as well. And with that, I want to go into what I'm calling the compassion of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus. Again, this is a mini-series within the series, and this is really a message all of itself. I have a second part to this called How to Receive a Miracle. I'm hoping I get there. Okay? But if not, I'm not going to slow down. We're going to continue along these lines, and we are going to get her done. Okay? But let's start talk, talking first of all about the compassion of Jesus. And we're going to be looking at about uh, nine different verses here about when Jesus had compassion and something happened. Jesus didn't just love him and didn't do anything about it. Jesus, that compassion moved him to do something. Let me preface this. How many know that Jesus had compassion for the people? But Jesus was spending all night talking to the Father. And Jesus said he doesn't do anything unless he saw the Father do it. He didn't say anything. Unless he heard the Father say it. And if you and I have a relationship with God, just like Jesus did with the Father. Now, Jesus was the Son of God, but he laid down a divinity. And you can see this in Philippians chapter 2 and other passages. But he laid that down to become the Son of Man. And as the Son of Man, even though he was Jesus, he was codependent on God. And you and I, need to be codependent on God. And as we have a relationship with God, just like Jesus had a relationship with the Father, whatever we see the Father do, we can do. Whatever we see the Father say, we can say. And as we have a relationship with God, God's going to conceive in us a dream, a vision, a purpose. That's called seed. 
And he's going to concede that in our hearts. He says, it says in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you, he will conceive in you the desires of your heart. The next verse says, commit your way to him. Trust him and he will bring that desire to pass. You have a dream. You have a vision. You have a compassion to meet a need. That's God. Jesus got the same, had the same compassion. We're going to look at many, many of those examples here in just a moment. But Jesus, where, where did that compassion come from? Where did that compassion to meet a need come from? Spending time with the Father. <coughs> That's where it was birthed. But Jesus didn't, it wasn't just a passing thought. It wasn't just something I wish I could help that need and, and do nothing about it. No, Jesus, as the Son of Man, who was the Son of God, there was always a miracle. There was always something that took place based on that, that was birthed in that compassion as he committed his way to the Father, trusting him. And he, God, brought that compassion, that vision, that need, that desire to pass. Okay, so let's look at some verses as we're talking about the compassion of Jesus. We're going to just walk through some verses real quick. I'm not going to read the whole context. I'm, going to, I'm just going to I'm just going to fast forward to the good parts. Okay, you ever do that with a movie? Where you just fast forward to the good part and you just watch that good part over and over again? I mean, it's usually an action scene where the, the good guys conquer the bad guys, and it might be a western movie or uh, anyway. I, I don't want to get caught in all that, but I just like that anyway. The compassion of Jesus. We're going to look. We're going to fast forward to some of the, the good parts. This first one is when Jesus is feeding four thousand. It's Matthew fourteen fourteen, and when Jesus went out, he saw the multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Now there was a feeding of the four thousand in the story, but he went, he saw the multitude and he he healed their sick. We don't know how many were there. We, we know. Uh, from uh, other things, there was at least 4,000 people there. He fed them too. That compassion also transcended to him feeding them. But he didn't just meet uh, a hunger need. He also healed their sick. He was moved with compassion. And he did something about it. Okay? We have another one in Mark 8. This is the feeding of the 5,000. He said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days. And that's it. Who does that? Who goes on a journey three days and brings those food with them? I mean, whatever Jesus was doing, whatever he was saying, and we know he was teaching the word of God and healing the sick, but they continued with him for three days. And that's a whole other message in itself. But he had compassion on them. That they didn't have anything to eat. Sometimes we just want to meet one family's need because they're going through something. Or one individual... It was a whole multitude. And Jesus had compassion on it. And anytime Jesus had compassion on somebody or something or a multitude of people, it wasn't just a compassion. He did nothing about it. That compassion moved him to do something about it. And in each case, it was, <coughs> me, in almost each case, what followed that compassion was a miracle. Okay? See, most one of the most important elements of receiving a miracle are operating 
and the miraculous is compassion. Almost every time Jesus did miracles, it was prefaced by this compassion. It's one of the most important elements. See, the Bible says in Galatians that faith works by love. If you have a faith problem, you usually have a love problem. And I'm not talking about us loving God. That's important. But 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, This is love. Not that he loves us, but that we love him. But that he loves us. You, I mean, I said it wrong. Let me turn over. Verse John 4, 10 says, This is love. Not that we love him, but that he loved us and became the propitiation for our sins. In the same context, John says, We love because he first loved us. We can't love others. We can't love God. We can't love ourselves until we first know his love. And when we know his love, faith works by love. So faith for a miracle, faith to meet the needs of the multitudes, started with love, compassion. It came from Jesus knowing that the Father loves him. And you can, you can read this prayer in John chapter 17. Jesus knew that the same way that the Father loved him, the Father loves us. In the same way, he wants us to love one another. But one of the main ingredients to a miracle is understanding God's love for you. That's where it starts. And if you are having a hard time getting your faith in motion, getting your faith fired up, then you just need to sit in his presence and let him love on you. I want to say that again. If you're having a faith problem, if you're having a, a problem getting your eyes off the storm and getting your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, you just need to sit down in his presence and let him love on you. you have, you're in a circumstance. You see this Goliath approaching you. You see this army invading you. You see the enemy closing in like a, storm, like a flood. Well, God will raise a standard against him. But you need to get your eyes off the problem and the situation, and you need to get your eyes on Jesus and let him love on you. And as he loves on you, faith will be revived. Faith will come. Where does faith come from? The Word. Who's the Word? Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? But faith works by love, and we also know from verse John chapter 4, that God is love. See, you can't have you can't have love without God because God is love. That's not just a cliche. God is agape. God is love. Love agape is God. See, there are different words for love, and some of us know that in the Greek. There's phileo and eros, and there's other ones. All those are verbs. But agape is a noun. A noun is a person, place, or thing. It's an object. God is love. He loves us in a verb, a verb form of that. 
but he is love. Okay? And so, faith works by love, and God is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is love. Not that we love him, but that he loved us and became the propitiation for our sins. It also says in Corinthians that we are, the love of God compels us. See, when you know God's love, it will compel you. You will move with compassion because there's a compelling part to the love of God. When you know God's love, it will compel you <coughs> to do something for the multitudes. It will compel you to do something when you come across a brother or a sister in need, whatever the need may be. You don't have the need, you don't have the answer, but you have the God who loves you, and he is the answer. And he can do a miracle. And he wants to do a miracle in and through us. See, this compassion is an indispensable part of flowing in the healing part, power of God. Some of these we're going to see are healing miracles. Some of these are him just feeding them, meeting the needs of the, 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 the multitude with food. And there's some other miracles we're going to see as well. Let's go to another one real quick. We have Mark chapter 18, verse 27. And then the master, this is the parable, but the parable paints the picture of the heart of the father, of the, the heart of the master. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him all of the debts. This is the parable of the unforgiving servant. It starts off with the forgiving, the forgiving master. And the forgiving master was moved to compassion to forgive him. When you, if you're having a hard time forgiving somebody, the compassion of God will move you to forgive. You know, when disciples, there was one time when, Je when the disciples asked Jesus, we need more faith. You know what Jesus was talking about in that context? Forgiveness. It takes more faith sometimes to forgive people than it takes to raise the dead. Okay, let's look at another one. And Luke, no, excuse me, Matthew chapter 20, verses 32 to 34. And so Jesus stood still and called them. He's talking to two blind men. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? Let me just pause there right now. You're watching this video. What do you want Jesus to do for you? That's an open check. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Okay. And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. They wanted us to see. They were blind. And so Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. The compassion of Jesus caused them to see. See, the, the compassion of God is indispensable part of the flowing of the healing power of God. That not only flows through Jesus, but we, church, are the body of Christ. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He lives in us. 
his body. And we are his hands and we are his feet. To move with compassion to heal the sick and raise the dead. In the seven chapter 3. Luke. And now it happened the day after that he went into the city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and a, and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, and behold, a dead man was being carried out, and the only son, the only son of his mother, and she was a, a widow. And so now she was not only a widow, but now she was childless. And a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. And then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And so when he was so he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. He had compassion. And that compassion caused him to raise the dead. I, you know, you there's going to be times where you and I come across a circumstance, a situation. Maybe it's in our lives or someone else's lives. And the situation just seems dead. All hope is gone. Not with Jesus. I don't care how dead it is. I don't care how impossible it is. But we serve a God who raises the dead. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God can revive life back into any dead situation, any dead course, any dead person, any dead marriage, any dead relationship, any dead finances, any dead situation. God can raise the dead. And he does it by compassion. Okay, let's go to Matthew. Verse 9, chapter 9, verse 35. And then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and, and every disease among the people. And But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Jesus, it just, this was just the typical ministry of Jesus. He went about the cities and villages and synagogues and whatnot, teaching the people, and he saw the multitudes, he had compassion, because they were just wandering like sheep without a shepherd. A lot I can think back on that. Let's go to Mark 141. And then he said to his disciples, okay, excuse me. Mark 141. And then Jesus moved with compassion and stretched out his hand and touched him. He's talking to a leper. And said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. The leopard, he had compassion. And he touched him. Something that was not only forbidden by the law, the Levitical law, but is also a very contagious disease. And so Something that just seemed unethical, unwise. He did it because he had compassion. Okay. And then, uh, let's, go, let's end this with Mark 6, 34. And I'm done with the message, but these series of verses I'm going to share with you. And Jesus, when he came and saw a great multitude, was moved with compassion because they were like a sheep, not having a shepherd. Almost the same thing we just read. And so he began to teach them many things. <coughs> Excuse me. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, 
and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go to the surrounding country and villages and buy, buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. So this is actually also the, the feeding of the 5,000. <coughs> okay. But it doesn't really matter if it was 4,000, 5,000, it doesn't lose multitudes. Okay. He's been ministering them. They're in a deserted place. The disciples now, if you notice real quick, the disciples have compassion on the people too. But they're... <coughs> disciples, you know, have compassion to send the people away to go and get something to eat. And that sounds very noble. That sounds very thoughtful and, and wise. You know, they've been here all day. It's been a good day, Master. But let's go send the people home so they can get something to eat. You know, so they have compassion too. And that's how a lot of us respond. See, the disciples had compassion, but they, their only remedy was a natural remedy. And I'm not saying a natural remedy is, is always out of the question. But sometimes it's not practical. Even though it's practical, it's still not practical. If that makes any sense. Okay? But I love Jesus' response here. But he, Jesus, answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. Jesus basically, in one sense, rebukes their, their noble idea. Because I think it's, it's still noble, but God is not limited. In other words, He's like the answer doesn't have to be we send them away. Jesus and notice now Jesus is going. If you read the story, Jesus is going to end up doing the miracle, but that wasn't the instruction. He said, "You give them something to eat. Don't send them away." See, so many times we want to send them away because we can't meet the need. <coughs> Excuse me. In other words, I hear Jesus saying, why not? Why can't you meet the need? You give them something to eat. And it, 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 I don't have all the verses up there today, but they had this, disciples right, argued back. We don't have enough, even if we did have, we don't have enough money to buy food for all these people. Okay? And I just want to slow down for a moment. How many times have we in life through our jobs, through our families, just through life, we meet people. It's a big need. We don't have the need. We're gonna we'll say we'll pray for them. That's a very noble thing. That's a very nice thing. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, but at the same point in time, it's like you know. But there's no miracle. There's no. They need something now. And. The picture I'm trying to paint is, I'm not trying to step in any toes, but then again I am. Because I'm trying to I'm trying to shake the tree a little bit. Not only for you, but also for me. That church, we are different. We have a miracle working God. And one of the reasons why they traveled him for three days, because he did miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. That's what he did. And we need to stop limiting God to just a prayer. And I'm not bashing prayer. Don't get me wrong here. Okay? But Jesus said, you do something about it. During the deserted place, they had, to eat, they had to send the people away to even go get food for themselves. But Jesus, in this deserted place, is saying, right here, right now, you feed them. With what? They don't have it. That's because it, we're, we're always looking in the natural. But 
There's compassion. See, disciples had compassion to feed the people. So did Jesus. But he wanted to do it now in a miraculous way versus just being dependent and limited by doing it in a natural way. Did I say that right? We, you know, God is a God of miracles. And he wanted to meet a very practical need, but through the economy of God, not necessarily the economy of man. And one of the major traits that releases God's power, whether it be healing the leper, healing the blind man, raising the dead, feeding the multitudes, is the compassion of God. I hope you're seeing this. The compassion of God is indispensable. And every single one of these cases that we read, it was the compassion of God that brought the answer, that brought the miracle, no matter how dead the situation, no matter how impossible the situation. Some of it was just a simple feeding of people. I say simple, but we're talking about 5,000 people here. Okay? And not just a, a meal, with a, not just a snack, you know, not just an airplane snack where there's nothing in it. You know, uh, I don't know if you've ridden an airplane, but they give you some pretzels and whatever, peanuts or whatever. You know, I'm still hungry. That, that didn't do it for me. But anyway, uh, let's move on. See, if we're going to walk in the compassion of God, and we're going to see miracles take place, one of the first things we need to establish, though, is that we need to hate sickness, and we need to hate lack, and we need to hate everything that, that is not of God, but we need to love people. See, he told the disciples to go do it. I don't. I think I, yeah, I have it on the screen. Matthew ten eight. When Jesus sent out the twelve and he sent out the seventy, this is how he told them to go. He said, "You go heal the sick, you go cleanse the lepers, you go raise the dead, you go cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give." He told the twelve. He told the seventy, "You go heal the sick." And we see that again in Mark chapter 16 when he's commissioning the church, you and I, go lay hands on the sick and they will recover. God has commissioned us to go be the church. Praise God we have a place we can come gather. <coughs> we, we have a place where we can be taught and admonished and encouraged and pastored. And we need that. And we can encourage one another. But he told us to go be the church. Go heal the sick. Jesus didn't heal all the sick. He told them to go do it. Did Jesus heal the sick too? Yes. He, Jesus did all these things. But he told us to go do these The same things he was doing. The same, see, he was discipling them. They weren't just followers. They were not just his ushers. They were not just his detail. You know? They were being discipled. They were a student. They were a student learner. And they were learning to do what Jesus did. And it was on-the-job training. Okay? On-the-ministry training, if I can put it that way. And so Jesus is teaching them, but he's teaching us, you go heal the sick. You go feed the multitudes. Freely you receive this compassion. Freely give it. 
Freely you have Jesus. Freely you 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 you, you receive. Freely we have God. We have Jesus. And there's no need that we cannot meet because we have Jesus. Okay? And when but if we're if we are indifferent with people with the plight, the challenges that people are going through, God can't use you as a miracle worker. We can't be indifferent about people's problems. Jesus was not indifferent when he saw the multitudes and when he saw the need. He was moved with compassion. And I don't I, I can't tell you how many times through the years I've been moved with compassion to meet a need. Not only my own needs, and, and, and it applies there too. I can have you can have compassion to meet your own needs. And you can have compassion to meet someone else's needs. Where does that compassion come from? I believe that's the Holy Spirit talking. I believe that's God talking. Because God wants to meet, do something here. God wants to not only meet their need, but God wants to be glorified. God is glorified when we meet the needs of one another in a supernatural way. Feeding the multitudes, healing the sick, raising the dead. God is magnified. God is glorified. And where, how do we know God wants to move here and God wants to do something here? Because there's a burning compassion. There's a it's compelling. That's God. That's the Holy Spirit. But then we look at our own pocketbook, we look at our own bank account, we look at our own refrigerator, and we can't meet the need. Because you're looking in the wrong place. The disciples did that. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough food to feed all these people. But God and Jesus said, you feed them. I mean, they even quarreled. They, didn't, they forgot to bring bread themselves. But Jesus didn't stop Jesus. He asked, what do we have? Well, they apparently they had that a search party. And they found loaves and fish. And that's all Jesus needed. Sometimes we, we're looking at meeting the need, and we get, I want to meet it, but all I have is this. That's all you need. Because I don't care what it is, you bring it to God, and you give thanks like Jesus did, and he will use it to meet the needs of the people. He will use you to lay hands on the sick and to recover. He'll use you to lay hands on the blind and the leopards. He'll use you to raise the dead. I mean, the whole city was mourning with that mama. Poor mama. And that was sad. That was devastating. But that was the happiest day of her life. Her son that was dead is now alive again. Praise God for Jesus. But where's Jesus? He's here. He's on the inside of us. He's with us. And I don't know if I'm going to finish this, but I want to go into my second part of how to receive a miracle and hopefully tie these two together. I don't know how far I'll get. But when we're talking about miracles, a miracle is a supernatural intervention of God in a situation. You know, when Jesus healed the leper, a lot of us can look at that as a healing. I mean, no, God created our bodies to heal itself. 
Doctors have been amazed, doctors through the years have been amazed that the body doesn't heal itself, and in many ways it does. But healing is just something that got, is natural because God created the bodies, a natural body, to heal itself. Your bodies do heal. But sometimes we do need a miracle because either the body parts are not there to heal or whatnot. But in the leper's case, there was a miracle because it was done immediately. And when a healing is done immediately, that's a miracle. Because there should have been a longer process for that healing to take place. But in this case, it was done instantly. That's a miracle. And don't get so caught up with that. That's not important so much. But a miracle is a supernatural intervention of God. A healing is something God's already promised us through the finished work of the cross. And all of us need a miracle from time to time. And the title of this sub-message, now I'm in my second sub-message within the message, is how do we receive a miracle? And the difference between a blessing and a miracle is this. Again, a miracle is a, is a supernatural intervention of God, whereas a blessing is God's power flowing through natural channels. It's a promise of God. It's the covenant of God. It's a blessing of God. It's God's divine blessing working through the natural channels he's already established and he's already promised. that making sense? And in many ways, a blessing is better than a miracle. Because when you have a miracle or need a miracle, you're usually living from crisis to crisis where you need a miracle. Whereas if you're walking in divine blessing, you're just walking in divine blessing. You don't even need a miracle because everything's good. But having you know that we live in a real world, a real fallen world until Jesus comes and we get a new heaven and we get a new earth and we get a new body. Okay, so there are going to be things. But sometimes we need a miracle to jumpstart our faith. Sometimes we need a miracle to get this thing on the road. The feeding of the multitudes was a miracle. Fish and loaves don't multiply and feed the thousands in a basket. They just don't do that. Okay? But... We also need to understand that the importance of believing for excuse me, let me rephrase what I was trying to say. There's a difference between believing that God can do miracles and simply receiving the miracle that is promised to us. Okay? See, many of us, and again, I'm not trying to hurt feelings, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but many of us are hoping for a miracle. But many don't believe that we can simply make a miracle take place. And some of you are already probably looking at me strange when David doesn't work that way. Well, don't wake me up. Because I believe, see, first of all, let me establish some things. I believe God is predictable. I believe God is orderly. Look how he created the, the universe. The sun, the stars, and how he created uh, all the systems of, the, of this planet. Seed, time, and harvest. And there's so many things that God has created in the earth, earth world, in the earth, in the cosmos. That is very predictable. How many know that God is faithful? And I've already said it several times, but how many know that Jesus... 
sorry. Jesus is the same, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has never changed. We're in the new covenant. We are in a better covenant, made on better promises. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is faithful. Faith, let me talk about faith for a moment. Faith is governed by law. I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments. I'm not talking about the Levitical law. But in Romans chapter 3, 27, Paul says, Where is boasting them? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. There's a spiritual law called faith. And there's one thing about a law, for example, the law of gravity. The law of gravity, God created the law of gravity. And one thing about the law of gravity, it works for everybody, everywhere, every time. It doesn't work here, and right now it's not working in India. And then at 5 o'clock today, it'll work in India, but in uh, um, Asia, it's not going to be working at 5 o'clock in Asia. No, the law of gravity works for everybody, everywhere, every time on this planet. Excuse me. The law of faith, faith works for everybody, everywhere, every time. It's called the law of faith. Okay? And if you, like with gravity, if you cooperate with the law, it works. If you don't, it can kill you. Okay? You have to, see, Gravity does not say, well, you know what? I like working for Charlie, but I'm not going to work for Bob. It doesn't work that way. You have to cooperate with the law. The law of thermodynamics, or lift and thrust, an airplane. As long as, as, long as the, the scientific law is in motion for lift and thrust, that plane will fly. But once that stop, that, the lift and thrust stops working, that plane's coming down and gravity will take over. Because there's laws. The law of electricity and different things. Electricity will run through copper. It won't run through wood. You can try to wire your house with wood and it won't work. But it needs to be copper. Okay? And so on and on we can go. But we are, there's a kingdom. Jesus is the king. And there's a kingdom. And that kingdom is governed by law. We have the royal law of love, we have the law of liberty, we have the law of faith. And there's, there's more laws that we can talk about. And laws are consistent. Again, gravity is not just going to work uh, in November and that's not going to work in February. It doesn't work that way. It's consistent. Okay? And the laws, the spiritual laws are the same way. Faith, you have to cooperate with the law of faith. Okay? So how, again, we're getting to the point where how do we receive a miracle? Okay? But the first thing we have to establish before we fully answer that question is that it's not hit and miss. That the receiving a miracle is not by chance. We're not playing the lottery. We're not casting lots. We're not playing a game of chance. Maybe God will do it. Maybe God won't do it. Or we'll pray a prayer. Well, if it's God's will, then we'll get healed. 
Again, that's why I've been teaching for length. And again, I'm not trying to offend anybody or hurt anybody. But by his stripes, we were healed. There's nobody that God doesn't want to heal, see here. We, we're not, we're not going to see miracles take place for healing if we're still wrestling whether it's God's will to heal or not. First of all, that's not faith. We're still guessing. We're still in doubt. We don't even know. We're not convinced. Okay? I believe God is always on. He's never off. I believe God is always willing. We, we looked at the story of the leper. If you read the whole story, he asked, he said, Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me. And he said, I am willing, be healed. Jesus is always willing. Jesus never turned down anybody. The only people he couldn't heal, not because he wouldn't heal, is those who didn't have faith. If we are questioning whether God wants to heal everybody, then there's no faith in that. And again, I'm not here to offend anybody, but I'm here to teach the truth. It's not a game of chance. We can know that we know that we know it's the will of God. And really what I'm getting down to, we control God's ability. You, you control God's ability in your life. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. He doesn't want to bless you more than he wants to bless Bob or, or Aunt Sue. Okay? It's his power, not your power. His, his ability, not your ability. He's God, you're not. It's his grace. It's his mercy. It's his faithfulness. It's his gospel. It's his Jesus. But Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can ever ask or imagine. And I don't know about you, but I can imagine big. Because I have a big God. And he can do exceedingly more than I could ever think. I shared last week, we're in our, in our, in our business and through my connections, we're trying to launch something called Handel's Umbrella. Because we want to reach people with finances and, and material things in a very powerful way. But we need the funds to do that. We have a big, we have a very lofty vision for this Handel's Umbrella. But we have a very lofty, big God. Okay? But he's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever ask or imagine for this whole, this whole project and vision. How? See, that's always a big question. How does it work? According to the power that works in us. There's a power in us. There's a power in you. What power? Well, Paul said in chapter 1, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. To will and to do his good pleasure. There's a power that is working. It's working. It's not dormant. If it's dormant, it's because we haven't activated it. But he's able to do all this exceedingly abundantly more than he asked according to the power that is at work where? In you, his temple. He purchased you. He redeemed you by his blood. 
God is not here and there. The kingdom of God is within you. I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but the life I live now, I live by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This kingdom, this Jesus, this power is at work in me and you. We're looking for God to do it there. We're wondering, he might do it, he might not. It's at work in us. It's according to, according to, according to the power that is at work in us. It's working. It's alive. Satan can't stop God's power. But you and I can. He can convince us. He can deceive us. He can make us ignorant of the truth. But you shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free. It's not the truth that sets you free. You have to know the truth. The truth can't set you free. The truth can't have any power in your life if you don't know the truth. Okay? God wants you to have a miracle. God wants you to know the truth. God wants you to be a living epistle. His able ministers of the new covenant. To heal the sick. To heal the leper. To raise the dead. And cast out demons. Freely you've received. Freely you've received. Now freely give that power away. It says in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God. God in him. Who? In Jesus. Or yes. God's already said yes. He's not going to say no to something he already said yes to. And in him, amen, means so be it. To the glory of God. God is glorified when we operate in the promises. And how does it happen? Through us. We are the body of Christ. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Bought with a price. Not just for holiness. But holiness so God can be there so he can work. So he can live and move and have his being. So we are the body of Christ so Jesus can be there and heal the sick and raise the dead and do what he said. He, he said, greater works shall you do than these because I go to the Father. Jesus couldn't come inside of us until he went to the Father. Until we were reconciled to God and filled us with the Holy Spirit. He had to cleanse this house with his blood and sanctify it by his blood and make it clean and white as snow by his blood so he can fill this house with his glory, with his power, with his, the fullness of himself. You know, going back to this verse, if you go to verse 19, you shall know the love of God. Faith works by love. That surpasses knowledge, intellectual knowledge. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. The Amplified says that you might be filled or overflowing with God himself. That's good. And what's filling you? The compassion of God. The compassion of God is filling you to overflowing with God himself. And that is that power that is not working you to, will, to do the will of his good pleasure. In other words, stop waiting for God to do something and start believing God. Start glorifying God. You know, one of the greatest miracles that we see in Scripture is the Christmas story, the virgin birth. I know some people don't understand the virgin birth. But, I mean, you know, Jesus was not, it's the male that carries the seed. And Jesus was not born from Adam's seed. Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit. A totally different seed. Because it says in Peter that we're born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God. But when, then, when 
the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, you're going to be conceived with Jesus, the Messiah, the Emmanuel, God with us. And she had some questions how this was going to be because she's a virgin. She understood enough about the birds and the bees, and so she understood how this worked. But she didn't understand how this was going to work since she's never been with a man. So there's never been a seed. And the Holy Spirit explained it to her, how she can be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And this is what her response in Luke 138. And then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let it be unto me according to your word. You know that's how all of us got born again? We heard the gospel, we believed the gospel, and we were saved. We heard the gospel, we believed the gospel, and we were saved. That's how it works. And when we heard the gospel, what Jesus did for us, we might not have said these words. We basically said the same thing that Mary said. Let it be unto me according to your word. I want to believe in Jesus. I want to receive Jesus. I want to be born again. I want to be cleansed. I want to be forgiven. Let it be to me according to your word. And the moment that we said that, the moment we believed that, we were born again. And that's the greatest miracle that can ever take place, you being born again. But the same way that we become born again, the same way that Mary was conceived with Jesus, the same way that we receive a miracle. Let it be unto me according to your word. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 says, um, In the same way that you receive Christ, so walk in him. The same way you receive it. How did you receive it? Did you receive Christ because you had it all together? Or did you receive Christ because Jesus had it all together? You heard the gospel and he, you, you were an enemy of God and he came and made you a child of God. You heard the gospel, believed the gospel. You were saved by his grace. You put faith in his grace and you became saved. But the same way you receive Christ is how you walk in him. Some churches teach it in a way that you receive Christ by faith in, faith in his grace, but now you have to live by your own performance. And I'm all about living holy. I'm all about living righteously. And we teach that in church. The grace of God will teach you to deny, to die ungodliness. That's Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Some people think that grace teaches us to have a license of sin. Well, they, they don't, first of all, they don't understand grace because grace is a teacher. Grace will teach you to deny ungodliness. Grace will teach you to walk holy. The Bible says, awake to righteousness and sin not. You don't sin not and become righteous. You wake to who you are in Christ, and that enables you not to sin. We're all about holiness. How we differ with some churches is how we get there. How We, be, we don't become holy because of what we've done. No, we put, in, in the spirit of our mind, we put off the old man and put on the new man who's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Okay? And so, I don't go into some because this is not the scope of my message this morning, but this is how faith works. Let it be unto me according to your word. And when she did that, Jesus, I believe Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in that instance in her womb. Okay? And when, see, when God created the earth world, when God created the, the, the planet, the earth, the <coughs> when God created the heavens and the earth, he spoke it into being by his word. God did every miracle that he did in creating the whole planet. Creating the trees and the butterflies and the ladybugs and all the animals, the doggies and the puppies and the kitties and, 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 and everything, all the fruits and vegetables, okay? Whatever your, your favorite fruits and vegetables, everything, the cows and, 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 and the monkeys and everything that, that's out there, okay? 
He did it by he spoke it into being. What came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken, because God created the chicken. He said, let there be chicken, and there was, there was a bop, bop, bop. You know, that's how, that's how, that's how it happened. Because it says in Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understood that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. The spiritual created the natural. God's word created the natural. It says in Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. How many know that we're created in the image of God? We're creating his likeness? And I don't have time to teach the whole story, but God, when God created man, Adam, excuse me, God created man, Adam and Eve, he gave authority to reign on the earth, to have dominion over the earth to man. Through the fall, Adam traded that to the devil. And the devil became the god of this, of the, of this age, the god of this world. Jesus came and took those keys back through the finished work of the cross. And he's given that authority back to man. And when, see, God could not just create Jesus. God gave the authority to man. And what we say, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so through prophecy between Adam and Jesus, there was a... There were the hundreds of prophecies that had to be spoken by Isaiah and many of the prophets through the years, throughout what we call the Old Testament, and those prophecies brought Jesus. And Jesus was conceived to fulfill the word of God. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be the Prince of Peace, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. I, I'm chopping that up a little bit. But the government will be upon his shoulders. But, let me just read my notes here for a minute. Just as God's word was involved to create the world, it's going back to this word. We have the power of life and death in our tongue to do. We can create negative things that are death, and we can create things that are life. Am I saying we're the creator? No. But God has put power in the tongue. James piggybacks piggyback on this concept in James chapter 3. When our, what we say, we can set a whole forest on fire. It's like the rudder of a ship and a cruise liner. Out of the same mouth can come bitter water and fresh water. Okay? And our words are involved when we see a miracle. And most people, when they see a need, whether it be in their lives or someone else's lives, they put prayer above all things. And folks, I am not watering down prayer. Prayer is powerful. And prayer is good. But, to me, prayer is like water and fertilizer on a seed. And if you don't have the seed... It doesn't matter how long you pray and how much, how much water and fertilizer you, you put in the ground. If there's no seed there, nothing's going to grow. Or at least not the right thing going to grow. Prayer isn't powerful. It's the water and fertilizer. The seed can't grow without prayer. So I'm not watering down prayer. But prayer is like water and fertilizer. We need a seed. 
we need a seed. Okay? And before we can really pray and water and fertilize, we need to make sure we're watering and fertilizing a seed. In other words, what's a, what, what seed are you establishing? What seed is planted in your heart? The doctor just gave you a report about you or your kids or someone else. And I'm not saying it's not factual. I'm not saying it's not true. But you might meditate on what the doctor said the rest of your life. But what does God say about it? What seed are you going to water? The seed that your doctor told you? Or the seed that God says? What is going to be guarding in the, your mind and in your heart? You have a need, a vision to do something, but you keep looking at the bank account. We don't have any money. We don't have any money. We don't have, any, we don't have enough money. God told you to go do something, but you keep looking at the bank account to, to, to dictate whether you can't do what God told you to go do or not. Like me being the multitudes, for example. Jesus told them to go feed it. They're looking around. We don't have food. We don't have money. We don't have, there's, not a, there's not a Walmart nearby. How are we going to do this? Because they were looking at natural. And somehow what the doctor said, and somehow what is in the bank account, superseded what God said. And they're watering, they're praying, but they're watering, they're not watering what the seed is. Or they're watering the wrong seed. Because as much as they're praying for God to do something, they're also fertilizing and watering that negative report that we don't have enough, or this is how we just got to live with this disease or sickness or whatever the case may be. I mean, the lab report is showing that we have it. The, the x-rays are showing that we have it. Our blood test is showing we have it. The doctors have it. Everything's in the natural says we have it. And I'm not ignoring the facts, but God, is, the truth is different. And the facts and the truth are not always synonymous. <coughs> okay? If God was moved just by need, all of our needs would be met. Okay? But you need to plant a seed and water and fertilize that seed with prayer. Okay? I'm over time, but I'm hoping here to stick with me out for a little bit. I don't know if I'll get this done. The Word of God says we are born again out of a crustal seed, but a crustal seed is the Word of God. I don't have time to and dive into that like I wanted to. But there's an incredible seed called God's Word. And, and, we, and we are born again through the Word of God. The, the Word of God conceived in us a promise. And there's things in this incredible seed about healing and provision and wisdom and, 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 more, and the list can go on and on. That's in the Word of God. And that seed, my friend, is incorruptible. Versus the corruptible seed of this world. Even if it's coming through well-meaning, noble people like doctors. And our bank account and our parents and loved ones. We're born of the incorruptible seed of God's Word. And if you study out this word seed, you'll find the word sperm. Okay? And we are born in a supernatural union with the Word of God. 
And when we have this supernatural union with the Word of God, and we have a relationship with that Word, and we begin to speak the Word of life, it's powerful. Mixed with faith. See, when a farmer's plant wheat, you know what they expect in the harvest? Wheat. When they plant corn, do you know what they expect? Corn. Not lima beans. Okay? Farmers don't question the harvest because they knew they know what seed they planted. But people sometimes think that spiritual seeds are different. Emotional seeds, and there's all kinds of seeds out there. But a lot of times we are not reaping. A lot of times we're not reaping what the Word of God says because we're not cooperating with the Word of God. We're not planting the Word of God as a seed. We're planting what the doctor said or someone else said or our bank account says or our situation. You have to plant what the Word of God says to plant in order to reap what the Word of God says you will reap. We might know it intellectually, but we're planting other seeds instead of the Word of God. You reap what you sow. And we might believe that God can heal, or God does heal, or God wants to heal, but what we're mowing in our minds, what we're fertilizing our mind every day, 24-7, is that we're sick. We're going to die. Are we going to have this disease forever? Are we going to have surgery? Or whatever the case may be. We know what God said, but we're mowing in our minds. We don't have enough money. I hope we get it off the ground. I hope we're able to do this. And I can go on and on with many examples. And I say it because I've been there and I've done that. More than you can count. And this message is not just for you. It's for me too. We need to be the church of God. Okay? But my point I'm trying to get to here is what is the primary seed, what is the dominant seed that you are watering in your heart and your mind? What the doctor said, what your bank account says, what so-and-so said, your spouse, your loved one, your parents, your dog, your donkey, what, what the fuck are you saying? I understand what the doctor said. I understand what you said. You said it in love, but this is what my God says. And that is what I'm established in. Understand this is the truth. I understand that's a fact. But the truth says, I am healed. I, can, I will have all sufficiency in all things to do every good work. My God shall supply my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I understand what my bank account keeps screaming at me. But my God says, we have enough. My God said, go feed the multitudes. My God said, go do this. My God said, go that, do that. I understand what the facts are saying. I understand the lab work is saying. I understand all the reports are negative. But my God said, we will enter the land. I understand King Saul and the armies of Israel, Israel have been wallowing in fear for 40 days. Good catch, Pastor Dave. But, but, but my God says, like David, how dare this uncircumcised Philistine defy the armies of the living God? 
What is the purpose? Satan will fight. It's called the fight of faith. He wants to shipwreck your faith. Problems will exist until Jesus comes. But in the end, I know we win because I know what God says. And then we can change this circumstance around. We know this intellectually, many of us. But fear and reservation keeps, kicks in, called out. But we have to know that we know that we know with absolute confidence that no matter what it looks like, sounds like, smells like, my God, what my God says, will prevail. Everybody can be telling a different story to me. I might not have anyone agree with me. But I'm going to say and do what God said I'm going to say and do. Regardless. That's what David did. He was the only one on the scene that believed God. We have to have absolute confidence that his word will prevail, no matter how big giant is. Goliath could have been twice or five times the size that he was. It doesn't matter. Okay? But to be naturally carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Carnally minded. I'm not talking about being sinful minded. It says to be natural minded. We're so focused on the natural. What are you thinking? What are you focused on? The word of God? Or what the doctor said? Or what your bank account was saying? It goes on to say in Proverbs 4, 22, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my thing. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them. And health to the flesh of your flesh. But we all have a, what I call a spiritual womb. And I know I'm going over, just bear with me. Okay? And in that womb is where a seed is going to be gestated, conceived and gestated and germinated. Whether that be doubt, the doc, what the doctor said, or this and that. And I'm not against doctors. Okay? Or the Word of God. And only one of those seeds is going to be dominant. So it can germinate and gestate. But miracles can be conceived. Okay? When we meditate on his word day and night, we can be spiritually pregnant with expectation like a mother who is expecting that child but we can be pregnant with expectation that we're going to have a miracle here or we can be pregnant with expectation I'm going to die we're not going to get there it's not going to happen we're, going to, we're, we're never going to see it come to pass and we can have that expectation and that pregnancy too because that's the seed that we're feeding that's the seed that we are carrying in our spiritual womb. I understand things might come against it. You know, when the baby's in that prenatal stage, it's vulnerable. And that's why it's protected in the womb of the mother. But what is the mother feeding that? Right? Moms have to be careful what they eat and 
different exercises and, and activity they do that they, they can and cannot do uh, to protect their child. And so, we have, what are we feeding our minds? What are we feeding our hearts? What are we inclining to? What are we paying attention to? I understand the doctor said this, I respect that, I respect him or her, but my God says different. And I'm going to, I hear him, I, I gave him my allegiance, but I'm giving my ultimate allegiance to God and his word. And day and night, I'm, but you need a healing, get in the word of God, my God, about, read all the healing scriptures. Read all the provision scriptures if you need provision. Read all the destiny and stories. You know, through a ministry that we're part of, Andrew Walkman Ministry, they have on their website all these healing testimonies, all these destiny journey testimonies. And every single one of those that were in the Word of God day and night, feeding on God's Word, giving in their heart, mulling over, standing on it, they were hurting, they were going through real life problems. And some of their problems were just beyond real as how bad it was. But they trusted God. And they got God's word. Because what does faith come from? It comes from the word of God. And it's impossible to give birth to a miracle without feeding on God's word. Day and night. You know, a farmer doesn't get the harvest in the same season that he sowed it. A miracle you can have anytime you need it because it's a miracle. But it's going to be harder to re for you to receive a miracle that can be instantaneous if you don't already have a lifestyle of chewing on God's word. And if you haven't done so, you can start now. We can get the process going. And I'm not saying what the timeline will be on everything, but it's never going to start if we don't make it our lifestyle of being in God's Word. And wherever we're finding that we have to, our faith is struggling for provision, for healing, or maybe all of the above, we need to understand, first of all, God's love for us, like I said a minute ago, that compassion of God. And so it oozes out of us. But we also, but even if we understand God's compassion, but we're still wrestling theologically that God doesn't want to heal or provide or whatever or prosperity, then we need to gain God's word and see what God says about it. And if, my, if man and our church, our pastor, is saying differently, and then what the word of God says, no disrespect to them, but we need to make a decision are we going to believe God or man? And so, um, what seed is being planted? And, and we, we, we water and fertilize that seed with prayer. Okay? Let me go to some more scriptures. The Word of God is, is important in receiving a miracle. The compassion of God is an important ingredient like I, I started off with. But so is the Word of God. It says in Romans, I want to go forward real quick. So that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But Hebrews 4, 12, 12 says this. I read from the ESV. It says, well, the Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. I can read more of it, but I'm, I'm already over time, so let me just keep this short here. The Word of God is living and it's active. But is it living and active in your heart? Or is it on a shelf, just like a, a bag of seeds on the shelf? It's not even planted, it's just on the shelf. 
Is it living? Is it active? Is it being fertilized? You just can't know. You can't just know that God intellectually. You have to have a relationship with it. It needs to be alive. It needs to be active. We must meditate. We must mutter over it. We must mow it over in our mind. The Word of God. Okay. Because we mow over everything else. What the doctor said, it's living and active because we're mowing over 24-7. All the, all the other stuff that we're going through, we're mowing it over. What so-and-so said, we know what we can't do. We have a vision. We have a dream. We have a purpose. But we keep seeing what we can't do. We can't do. We mow over what we can't do day and night. And we're not mowing over the Word of God day and night. And we're wondering why it's not happening. We're waiting for God when God's waiting for us. We start trusting Him. And we can't trust him until we get into the word of God and get faith going. And we can't get faith going until we, because faith works by love. Okay? <clears throat> if we don't have a seed planted, we can't expect a harvest. And if we're not watering the right seed, we can't expect the right crop to germinate and gestate and produce. God's word will produce miracles. Okay? But here's what happens with a lot of us, and this has happened with me as well. We pray a prayer of faith, there's no answer. We got to his word, we planted a seed, we prayed for a miracle, but nothing happened, and then we stopped. It's like a mother being pregnant. She's in her third trimester. And she just stops feeding that child. Aborts the child. God forbid. Stop. See, it says in Mark 11, 24, Therefore I say to you, whatever you think you ask when you pray, and I'm all for prayer. I'm not watering it down. Believe that you receive them. And you will have it. Believe that you receive them, and you'll have it. Believe. When do you believe that you received it? When you pray. See, a lot of times we're waiting for the manifestation, but we need to believe that we received it when we pray. When did it get? When did that miracle? When did that answer get conceived? When we pray. Not there. It got conceived here. It's in the womb. And I can't tell you all the time, with every single case, the difference, the time span between amen and there it is. But we have to train our minds and our hearts that when we pray, we received it, whether we see it or not. Okay? It's called faith. And it goes on to say in Matthew 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And sometimes when the answer doesn't that happen, some of us conclude, well, it just wasn't God's will. Well, that's not what Jesus said, because the next verse says, Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened to him. But most don't believe this. Most are not expecting everyone to receive. We're hoping it does. And again, I'm not trying to hurt anyone. I'm not trying to upset anybody here. 
But I know most of us, including myself, are not experiencing all that God wants us to experience in this thing called Christianity, in called life. We have a responsibility to believe God's word and will. Yeah, I want to share an illustration here real quick. And the rest, the rest I'm going to have to pick up later. I'm way over time. But I'm gonna, this is something I've shared through the years. And I'm going to illustrate it for you in closing. And we'll pick up uh, next Sunday. We're together on a page I didn't finish. But I call this my red book illustration. In order to do that, you have to use your imagination with me, okay? You have to use your imagination. We're going to pretend for illustration purposes that there's at least two scriptures that says that the book that you have is brutal. Just say we, you have this book, and we all know from a natural point of view, because some of you might be colorblind, this is actually a red book I'm holding into my hand. Okay? So if you're colorblind, this illustration might not work for you so much. But this is a red book. And it doesn't say you have this book. But there's two scriptures that says that the book that you have is blue. Now, there's no scriptures that said that, but we're making an illustration, and for this to work, we have to use our imagination here. Okay? You with me? Hopefully, I can't see you nodding your head, but anyway, I'm trusting that you are. So you have the book, it's red, but the scripture said that it's blue. So if the scripture says that it's blue, but you're holding this book, and I ask you, what color is your book? Some of you are going to naturally use your five senses, especially your sight, and you're going to say, My, the book I have is red. But the scripture says it's blue. And so I'll ask you again, what color is the book that you have? And some of you will still say it's red, because that's all you can see is red. But the scripture says it's blue. And some of you will finally catch on that no matter what it looks like in the natural, if the scripture says it's blue, it's blue. And I've done this illustration so many times, one of these days this book is actually going to turn blue. Okay, hopefully you can, you can hear some teasing in my, in my words. This is my point I'm trying to get. I know it's a silly illustration, but it's worked powerfully, profoundly for many people to receive their miracles through the years. We've seen a lot of people get healed from cancer and a lot of different diseases with this illustration. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, it's echoed in Peter, and Jesus also echoes the same words in the book of Matthew, that by his stripes you were healed. But your doctor just diagnosed you with a sickness, a disease, a cancer. And whatever the case, a heart condition, whatever the case may be. It's factual. Your blood work says it is. Your lab work says it is. Your, your x-rays say that this is the case. Everything scientifically, medically, says you have this disease or this condition or whatever the case may be. But the Word of God says by your, his stripes you were. I like Peter. He says you were here. That's past tense. What does it mean you were here? Well, he died 2,000 years ago. 
He's not going to the cross again. He already paid for your sickness at the cross. It says in Psalm chapter one of Psalm one hundred three verses one to five. It says, "Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Who forgives all of your 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 uh, sins and heals all of your diseases? He's Jehovah Rapha, your healer. The doctor says you're sick. Your body is telling you you're sick." You've just been diagnosed with COVID. Your lab work, you just took a test and said you have COVID. But the Bible says, by his stripes, you are healed. So are you healed or are you sick? See, the facts says this is red. But hypothetically, the, the truth says it's blue. The facts can never change the word of God. But the word of God can change the facts. The fact is, this is red. But if the word of God says it's blue, then I can have, I have all the authority to, by the word of God, to command this book to be blue like the word of God says it is. That's an illustration, but let's put this in real life. If you can have all the symptoms and all the evidence from a natural point of view, the fact can be saying and screaming at you that you are sick, that you have a condition. But the word of God says you're true, you're healed. The facts cannot change the word of God, but the word of God can change the facts. And the word of God gives you authority to say, in the name of Jesus, body be whole, be healed. Come into alignment with the word of God. Come into alignment with his stripes that has made me whole. Bank account, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My, the word says that I will have all sufficiency and abundance to do every good work. You will bring me money. You will bring in the resources. I thank you that the money is coming from the four ends of the earth. It's coming into my account to, to not be selfish, but to do what God's called me to do. And we can, see, I'm not governed by my circumstances. I can tell my circumstances how to line up with the word of God. My circumstances are not my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And the word of God can change my circumstances. My circumstances does not change the word of God. I can say that over and over again, and I will say it over and over again. When we come back, I'm going to be picking up on this again. I might even reteach a lot of what I taught this morning. I don't feel like I'm done with this. I feel like I need to stay here a little while. Okay? I don't want to rush through this. I just hope this has been a blessing. I haven't got everything out of my heart I wanted to share. But I'm already over time. Okay? I'm almost a half hour over time right now. So, okay? So I apologize for that. But then again, I don't apologize. I hope this was good. God bless you guys. Have a great week. And we will talk to you soon.